Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Plus Four podcast, exploring the big wide world of Hickory Golf. I'm your host, Rob Berman. Episodes of this podcast reflect the personalities, the passion, and the pursuit of the game as it was played in the pre-1935 era across the world. Please subscribe and hit the like button to help us build our network of golfing fans coordinated in the United States through the Society of Hickory Golfers, and visit us online at plus4.org. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rob Berman speaking to you from the clubhouse at Fort Rose and Rose Marquis Golf Club, the 15th oldest club in the world, established in 1793. We'll have more on that later. We're here on the sixth day of our 21-day Scottish adventure, and it's been a revelation to me, to say the very least. I've golfed in Scotland in the past, but not with hickories. But I've never been to the incredibly remote destinations on offer here. On reflection, it feels like we've done a ton of driving, and much of it on very windy, narrow roads. But as a first-world problem, I suppose this isn't the worst issue to have. To see the truly ancient links, this is what is required, especially on the west coast of Scotland. So first of all, our itinerary isn't proving to be the 36 a day that I had presumed. Rather, we're all pacing ourselves and dealing with the autumnal weather and shorter days. 36 a day isn't overly practical this time of year. It's now October. That said, the countryside is littered with gold and brown leaves. I saw three pheasants on the drive from Oban to Fort Rose and Rose Marquis today. We were along Loch Ness most of the day today and arrived in Inverness to find calm conditions and blazing sunlight. This is the first we've seen of that in six days. As a recap, we made the choice following a red-eye flight from Seattle to Reykjavik, then through to Glasgow, to play a round straight off the plane. We elected to play the Irvine Bogside course, dating to 1887. Consensus in the group is that this may be the least favorite of the trip thus far, but I have to say that some of the holes were astonishing in their land movement and quirkiness. A huge standout is the 18th, which finds the player teeing off with nothing but two 20-foot-high bunkers in sight, right in their line. The fairway is completely blind, well over the top of these bunkers, and from the lowered tee position, there's no aiming device on the horizon. I absolutely love that. We've never seen a situation like that in the U.S. that I know of. Obviously, in the late 19th century, you may do with what you had, and this was in evidence throughout the course. We had been delayed at our rental car site, which put us way behind schedule, and we ended up with a much larger cargo van than we had booked. This may sound like a plus, but it is not over here. Smaller rentals are the best choice, given the city centers and, in some cases, one-lane streets. From there, we arrived at Western Gales on the morning of our second day. This was the course I was anticipating most on our trip. The Gales is on the North Ayrshire coast of Scotland, near Troon and Prestwick. I gather the courses in this region sprang up, at least in part, due to the locals not wanting to have to trek to the east coast of the country to play. And they do not disappoint. We had western gales in an on and off rain most of the day and moderate wind. Honestly, that's kind of perfect for us. It's more the true Lynx experience in some respects. Western gales also has some great design features, most notably blind burns that come into play on three of the holes. It's so easy to forget about that, as I did on one of the holes, in spite of our four caddy mentioning them off the tee box. We're playing four ball matches along this trip. In both cases, at Irvine and Gales, my matches came down to the final putt on the final hole, and we have both matches for a lovely start to the trip. 
I had the opportunity to speak with the archivist at Western Gales, Mr. Turner Bone, about his club and its history, and we'll get to that in a bit. Western Gale remains a men's-only club today, which surprised me slightly, but it was never discussed with the slightest sheepishness. The chaps seemed to like it that way. We were there on a Monday morning at 9 a.m., and members were filing in steadily with coats and ties. We opted to have lunch at the club as well after the round, which ended up being basically tea sandwiches and soup, perfectly adequate but not posh. Being outside Glasgow, the club has a long history of serving all classes of workers and laborers, and it has a massive military history that carries forward to this day. Tuesday morning, we had the great good pleasure of playing Prestwick, with the club's history dating to 1851. We were on property one week before their celebration of the actual 150th anniversary of the Open. A film crew was on site to document the festivities, which includes a replica of the original 12-hole layout from the first championship, replete with wicker baskets on the flagpoles, as was the case in 1860. Every single night I go to bed on this trip, I'm still thinking about Prestwick. We had great caddies and challenging playing conditions, but the sheer audacity of some of the holes is something for which I must confess I was entirely unprepared. It's the par five third hole with its cardinal bunker that plays through my head night after night. I've never seen a golf hole like that one, let alone the infamous Himalayas and Alps holes. The Narrows, hole number 15, is also incredible for a first-time visitor, but that list might include most of the holes at Prestwick. Two of the holes play up to the majestic clubhouse, which fills a student of history with the feeling that old Tom himself might have had as we made that walk. From the Ayrshire coast, we had intended to pop over to the Isle of Arran and play Shiskin, but as it happens, the ferries changed over to their winter schedules just six days before we arrived, which meant much more limited schedules, most of which were already sold out. So instead, we headed out the next morning for the Mull of Kintyre in Campbelltown. Without aid of the summer ferry, it's a four and a half hour drive from Presswick, and it's a harrowing drive at that in a wide van. The roads are impossibly curvy and narrow, and we routinely had logging trucks, tankers, and buses to pass with only inches between us. The terrain is mountainous and full of locks, our GPS also took us on miles of one-lane cutoffs, which was slightly terrifying, but also a thrill. We got to see a slice of rural living one would never experience on the main thoroughfares. Campbelltown is way out there, folks. How on earth did old Tom get there to assist with Macrahanish, I wonder? The distances here are vast, and somehow I wasn't thinking we'd spend so much time in the car. That changes in week two and week three when we're camped out for six nights each in Inverness and St. Andrews. We visited a very remote course, Dunaverty, at Southend on the tip of the peninsula. There's a tiny clubhouse and the opening holes of the course sit on land still owned by the local farmer. Remember how I said Prestwick blew my mind? Dunaverty is that and more. There has to be at least 200 feet or more of elevation change on this course within just a few holes. Blind shots? Check. Cross holes? Check. Vast sweeping views to Ireland? Check. Consider my mind blown. We played in fairly abysmal conditions and some of us played absolutely horribly given the conditions, but it didn't temper my love for that course. If you make the trek that far, go pay the 30 pounds and play Dunaverty. Their local membership play is among a group called the Headbangers, and I'm told that some are 40 plus handicappers. 
and I had the chance to meet with and speak to Sandy Watson, who plays to a single-digit handicap at 83 years old. He was in the relative warmth and serenity of the restaurant, if you can call it that, with his tin of pence and pounds waiting for the hardy ones to come in and settle their bets. Day five was Macrahanish, a course that hasn't changed much since it was founded in 1876 and originally known as the Kintyre Club. Macrahanish formed a ladies club in 1890 and today they have a nine-hole course, the Pans Course, which used to be exclusively for ladies' play. Interestingly, Charlie Hunter, who succeeded Tom Morris as keeper of the green at Prestwick, expanded Macrahanish from its original 10 holes to a 12-hole layout. And in 1879, Old Tom was brought in to complete the layout to a full 18 holes. We played it again in fairly heavy rain and unrelenting wind. We didn't mind. The matches were much less even on this day. I found Macrahanish more like what I expected from the links over here. It was less unconventional, I would say. It is startlingly remote. You feel like you're at the ends of the earth down here on the Kintyre coast. But once you're there, it is pure heaven. Campbelltown is a charming community of 4,500 people. A Google search informed us that this is where Paul McCartney went when the Beatles broke up. He went there to avert a nervous breakdown. It's said that he and Linda were commonly seen in their wellies, frequently the storefronts. One can understand why he chose this area of the country. It would not be hard to hide from the rest of the world down here. We had planned to play Macrahanish Dunes the following day before heading north, but two events led to a change of plans. The first, one of our members discovered that he left his golf bag at our hotel in Kalarnach near Glasgow. Mind you, we were nowhere near that anymore and not returning that direction. So one of our vehicles had to plan a four and a half hour drive back to the hotel to retrieve his clubs. With one cargo van and one car rental, that left precious few seats. The other factor was that a cold was working its way through our ranks, including for yours truly, and none of us wanted to be under the weather for the World Hickory Open next week. So with regret, we passed on the dunes, though three of us drove over to see it. It was probably just as well as it was cold and incredibly windy, not conducive to nursing the sniffles. With a 21-day itinerary, one has to make these types of decisions. There's simply too much coming to plow on without regard. Instead of playing one more day at Kintyre, we drove to Oban, 90 miles of scenic lusciousness. Our hotel was pretty abysmal, but c'est la vie. We then drove the remaining 125 miles this morning to get to Inverness, up in the highlands of Scotland, thus ending our West Coast experience for this trip. Fort Rose today. I'm resting now in the clubhouse. I was speaking with the head pro earlier. We learned that this course is the 15th oldest in the world, dating to 1793. However, they have written evidence of a local farmer who wrote in 1702 that he shouldn't play golf on Sunday, so it's entirely possible that golf was played here at the very beginning of the 18th century. We're on Brora tomorrow and Golspie the next day, and then on to the World Hickory Open at Royal Dornach, Castle Stewart, and Nairn next week. Pardoning that long introduction, I now present to you my conversation with archivist at Prestwick, Mr. Andrew Lockhead, followed by comments from the archivist at Western Gales, Mr. Turner Bone. Thank you so much for listening. Andrew, thank you again for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. My first visit to the club, and we're so honored to be here this year in the 150th of the Open. 
Yeah, my pleasure to have you here. And any any visitors are always welcome at Press Drink. And we, we love people to come and play the course and just feel comfortable here and see a bit of history and um, you know see where their where their first twelve opens were played. Can you tell us again uh, the the opening date of the course, the original? Um, well, the course opened in 1851. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know the exact date, but uh, Tom Morris designed the 12 holes. He was brought to Prestwick by um, James Fairley, mm -hmm. who, who was the founder of Prestwick Golf Club. Fairley had been the captain of the RNA, but he, he was a, a local landowner, and he wanted to start a golf course. It would have saved him all the travel to St Andrews or yes. North Berwick. Um, and he, he chose Tom Morris, who he knew well, from St Andrews, and um, Tom came and designed the 12-fold course. Now, did the Earl of Eglinton play a role in recruiting Tom, or is um, that? Yeah, the Earl of Eglinton's a, more a figurehead. I think. I think. Mm -hmm. uh, he, I mean, he was a past captain of the R, uh, the RNA. He was a very good friend of James Fairley. But what happened was that Fairley um, asked the Earl of Eglinton to be the captain of the club. So um, people were probably impressed by the Earl of Eglinton being captain of this new club. And to be honest, I think Eglinton sort of just let Fairley do all mm -hmm. the speed work and yes. recruit Morris. So it, it was, um, but they worked well together and they, they were good pals. Would there happen to be a portrait of Eglinton here at all? We've got one in the dining, a portrait of mm -hmm. the Earl of Eglinton in the dining room. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he, he was quite a quite a sort of um, a, a man of many parts. He you know, had a role in, 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 in Ireland. Um, he was the captain in the first year of the club in 1851. That's what I thought, right. Yeah. Um, and he took, I think he took an active part. He gave some trophies to the club. So that mm. the, the first event where, which they played was called um, the Eglinton Trophy, um, the Eglinton Medal, which which is still played. So every September mm. we, we play the, the Eglinton Medal, which is, you know, the autumn meeting. What happened was that the, the members would come to air because there was a big race meeting, which is called the Air Gold Cup, and they came to air and watched the racing. There were probably a few parties going on, and uh, they come came and played golf. So you know, mm. they they it was it was like this, it was the last event really of the summer before they went back to their estates and mm -hmm. uh, bunkered down for the, the winter. Yes, so. and that was horse racing, steeplechase. So, um, I think it was flat racing. It's um, I mean air dust steeple racing. There's two mm -hmm. types of racing, obviously. The, the big race is the flat race, which is called, I mean, it's now called the Air Gold Cup. Mm -hmm. um, it's the biggest race in Scotland, and it takes place in mid-September every year. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so, you know, they came and played golf, watched racing, and uh, had a few parties, no doubt. Right. Yeah. And um, in terms of the archives, was mm -hmm. it difficult to start the archives here, do you think? Um, well, no. I mean, uh, we, we've got all the original documents from when the club was founded. Mm -hmm. um, still in our possession so we've got the original minute book which um, lists all the names of the members who, who joined in 1851 so literally everything that happened from the time the club was founded um, we have a record because we we've, we've got all the minute books from mm -hmm. from that time in july to to now so i you know it's all listed in this book which is fantastic mm -hmm. so i mean like like a proper you know organization they had to note down you know the sure. action that was agreed yeah so it's all in the minute book and at the same time when the open was played that's where all the information is kept about the open and you know, who played in it and what the prizes were and who served on the committee so mm -hmm. it's, it's it's pretty pretty special and individual medals i imagine find their way back from the earliest years 
one yeah. hopes. Um, so we've we've got a collection of some medals, but you know people who win them keep them, and yes. um, you know that's, some of them come up for auction. I mean, we we don't generally buy any items, you know, unless they're very special. Right. Yeah. We all find the uh, the earliest lore and items most special. Yeah, yeah. I mean, m most of we we've got a collection of clubs. Um, so one of our members was called Captain Stewart, who who played in the Grand National Tournament at St Andrews in 1857. So he, he was a member at Prestwick, but in the tournament he played for Blackheath. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, he was, and Blackheath won the event, so he, 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 you know, he was obviously a good player. So he, he, he had a set of clubs made by Tom Morris. I don't know whether he used them at, in this Grand National Tournament, but the clubs which he played with were donated by Captain Stewart's family. So that's our, our, our most precious uh, collection of golf clubs, which yes. are in the smoke room of the club. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a you know proper set made by Tom Morris of of, uh, of his clubs. Yeah. Um, how many years was Tom here? Tom was here thirteen years, okay. from eighteen fifty one to eighteen sixty four. And young Tom was born here. Um, Is that right? It, no. Well, John Tom had been born in St Andrews, but okay. he, he was two months old when the family came to, yes. to Prestwick. When when the family went back to St Andrews, young Tom was thirteen years old. Mm. So he 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 didn't win any. Yes. So young Tom won all his opens when he was living in St Andrews. But he, obviously, because he grew up in Prestwick, you know, he knew the course well, and yeah. he he was familiar with some of the families here. So. Uh, and uh, where would old Tom have worked and done his work on clubs? Well, um, so the club bought a cottage in the high street of Prestwick for him to live and with his family and have a workshop. And he, he must have had a, he must have made his clubs in this workshop. Mm -hmm. yeah. Are there records of his uh, supplies and purchases? Um, no, we we don't have any right, records because I mean he he was obviously employed. You know, independent. In yeah, I mean, yeah. the club paid him um, thirty-six pounds a year to work as the keeper of the green. But I mean, the club making was his own business, so mm -hmm. he kept his own records of it. Um, so we don't, we don't have any details of that. No. Can you remind us also when it expanded beyond twelve holes? So, yeah. So the club originally was twelve holes. Um, it measured three thousand eight hundred yards, and it it was the that's where the the first. 15 opens were played mm -hmm. so um and then in 1881 the club uh, extended the course to to 18 holes and then a further nine opens were played on the 18 hole course mm -hmm. so altogether Prestwick hosted 24 open championships and the holes that exist today three or four might be original holes yeah so three of the original holes are still on the 18 hole course so the first one is the, the 17th which was the second hole on the 12 hole course the third hole, which is not, wait, our present third hole was the fourth hole on the 12th hole that, course. That is an unbelievable golf hole. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then the, yeah, the 13th on the present course was the fifth hole on the, on the original and course. And Andrew, do you have reason to believe that in that period, these such holes were commonplace? Um, I mean, I think, I think Morris, you know, you know, he was obviously quite a tough designer, so he, he's, these holes would have been very tough for the people to play because yeah. with the Hickory clubs, you know, the seventeenth. If anybody doesn't know, you're playing a quite a lofted shot for your second. Well, it wouldn't probably be the second shot. I mean, the hole is four hundred yards. Um, with Hickory clubs, I, I suspect they could only play short of this big hill for the second shot, and then chip and then play the lofted shot over the hill, over a huge bunker 
onto the green. So um, and this would have be gutta percha, gutta percha balls. Yeah. So um, you know, it was it was a tough hole. And then the thirteenth, the third hole is um, if for people who don't know has two large bunkers just below a large another large hill. So you're having to carry the ball. 150 yards, so it was a, it was a long shot. Yeah, Unimaginable. With a hickory club, yeah. <laughs> and probably long-nosed woods. Long-nosed, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, at least until maybe 1860 or 1870. Yeah. yeah. Are, do you have uh, extensive media accounts? Were, um, the, were the newspapers helpful in, at that era? I mean, the, news, yeah, the newspapers kind of covered these events, so we've got a bit of detail about... Yeah, the scores, obviously, and the conditions mm -hmm. and uh, the competitors taking part. Alan Robertson visited the club. Well, so, yeah, I mean, Alan Robertson, is, it's almost, it's, it's an interesting story. It's possible Alan Robertson came. I mean, we, we don't, he never took part in a competitive event mm -hmm. here because the first Open was 1860. Right. Robertson had died 1859. Sure. You know, he, he didn't obviously couldn't have played in the Open, right. but he, it's possible he came here. We don't know. We don't have any record in mm -hmm. the in the club's recollection about him having come here. Um, and it's a long journey from St Andrews. Yeah. If there wasn't anything, you know, organised for him, you know, there wouldn't be any reason for him to come because Willie Park came to play Morris in challenge matches at Prestwick, but Robertson was quite reticent about accepting these challenges. Yes. So we, we know that Park played Morris at Prestwick two or three times in the 1850s but we don't have any record of Robertson playing here mm -hmm. and I think mm -hmm. that's because he just was very cagey about yes. who he yeah. took on in a challenge match. It's served him well over time hasn't it? Well he's got this image of being you know just unbeatable right. so maybe that's maybe the fact that he wasn't willing to take yes. on matches. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Andrew when did the rail station come? I think the rail station came around 1835 I okay. think so mm. it that, that was probably part of the reason they chose the, the, the land here for the course at Prestwick. Um, I mean, so the, the, rail, the rail had been running for 15 years when Prestwick got founded. And that would be from Edinburgh? No, well, that's from Glasgow, really. Oh, yeah. from Glasgow. But I mean, they, people could have travelled from Edinburgh. Right. So uh, obviously they would have travelled to Glasgow and then moved, changed train to, from Glasgow right. To, right. to Prestwick. And uh, you have a very special event coming next week. Well, so next week we... Um, we're replaying the 12 full course because it's 150th open this year. So the, 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 the date coincides with the 17th of October, which is the, the first was, was the date of the first open. So we, we've done this before, we, but this time the course is in the best condition ever for this for this event. So we're, we're playing um, we're, we're inviting visitors and guests to, to play with the members and we're, we're playing various events. The most notable is is the the, the event on the seventeenth, um, which obviously coincides with the first open. So, Prestwick are playing a match with the Royal and Ancient mm. and the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers uh, on that day because they were the three clubs who paid for the claret jug mm -hmm. when the the belt was you know yes, had been yes. won by Young Tom and uh, right. the um, so so that, yeah we're looking forward to it um, and it'll be interesting bit of rivalry between the clubs and. Uh, you know, it's just it's just a good way of celebrating the original Open. Perfect. Will the players probably play modern clubs? Do you um, think? Well, we've we'll, we'll we'll been given the choice, you know, hickories mm -hmm. or modern. So mm -hmm. I'm sure some people will play with hickories. Yes, and good. wear the appropriate dress and. Uh, right. Good. Yeah. So. Is it true the first recorded hole in one was here? The first. Well, the, the first certainly the first hole in one in the Open was was 
was by young Tom on, in 1869 on the eighth hole of the course because um, we, we have the, the, the original scorecard mm -hmm. um, to show that it, it was done and it, it was recorded in the newspaper articles so mm -hmm. obviously it was it was yeah we saw the replica hole today yeah it's yeah. being set up for this week yeah I mean it, it's just a blind shot so um, yeah it, right. it, I mean it's a, a, an amazing thing he, he got a hole in one and then Jamie Anderson got one on a different hole um, in the 1870s mm -hmm. so yeah, so you know, as far as we know, we've had two holes in one in the Open Championship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, anything else to say about the 12-hole competition that you'd like to share? Um, I think it's just good fun, you know, the fact that, um, you know, we're able to play it. And uh, it's just, you know, it's no, it's no pushover. I mean, we've done this before, and uh, it's, it's a tough test of golf. So, uh, we noticed wicker baskets out there for the ceremonial holes. Yeah. Is that traditional? So... Um, We've we've got various photographs from the 1870s, 1880s, showing wicker baskets at Prestwick. Well, we don't know if they're wicker, but they're like they're in in the shape of a basket. Mm -hmm. um, so they they were being used at Prestwick um, in the 1880s. I think they were used in some other courses in Britain. Mm -hmm. We don't really know the the origins of them. I mean, one theory is that they were they were fishing baskets. You know, because golf started in the east coast of Scotland, there were obviously lots of baskets around, and maybe mm -hmm. they were picked up and they were just used uh, as 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 markers for the holes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Merion obviously now, you know, use them as their trademark. But yeah, I mean, Merion, you know, the the, the founder of Merion, um, he came to Britain and he he maybe noticed these baskets, mm -hmm. and that's why he chose mm -hmm. to have them at Merion. I've always assumed also that it makes it more complicated to play into the green because you don't have a flag to indicate wind direction. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, nobody quite knows the baskets. I mean, yeah. at some point, the flags probably made sense because it would tell you, it would tell you the wind direction. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite hole out here yourself? Um, Prestwick, I think the fourths are very good tools. I mean, it's a dog leg left to right round the side of the burn the water so it's a risk reward toll the more you cut off on the on the right the easier second shot is but it's 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 a very straightforward toll but it's just well it's simple and it's um, it's just very clever mm -hmm. the 15th hole is pretty notorious it's a very tight par four <laughs> the narrows you, you've got a tw 20 yards sort of area you have to carry the drive if you miss on the left, you've got a sort of six-foot-high bunker. If you, if you go too far on the right, you've got a six-foot-high bunker. Um, and then you play to a very sloping green from left to right. And it's only 346 yards, but it's, it's, um, there's a lot of trouble left and right. Yes, so, uh, we found, yeah. I found that today. Yeah. And now, you're the archivist here at Prestwick. Uh -huh. How do you ascend into that position? Well, the simple answer was that I was asked to take over from the, you know, the previous archivist. But it's it's a real honour to, to you know, to do the role. So uh, I I worked as a journalist, so presumably that's helped. You know, when they chose me to to take mm -hmm. on the role, and uh, it's fascinating. You learn so much about the history of golf and the characters and uh, the de you know development of the course. So it's 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 just fascinating. And uh, I imagine a club of this stature, you've probably digitized your archives. It's in the process of being digitized. I know how complicated that can yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. So we've, you know, we, well, yeah, all the valuable items, you know, all, uh, all our, you know, minute books and, um, you know, the valuable items have been digitized. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're kind of pretty much broken the back of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
And uh, in a quiet moment, is there an item that connects you most to history here? Um, just on a personal level yeah. that you well, connect yeah, with the I mean, most? I discovered a letter that Alistair McKenzie had sent the club in 1922. So he... Um, he happened to be in Troon doing some work on the Portland course at Troon and he heard that Prestwick wanted to add a, another hole to the course because one of the par threes was, you know, not, not really as good as the other holes. So the club invited people to design a new hole. So he heard and he came to the course and he, um, he lodged his own um, suggestion for that hole. But while he was here, he went around the whole course and he, he wrote, six pages of typewritten material mm, mm. which he gave us and uh, and it's quite special the fact that this is the chap who designed augusta passati mm -hmm, sure. crystal downs um and and we have this letter which you know i don't think anybody knew about which i found in the archives and it's, it's fascinating mm. interesting uh, also how how deep do you go into museum conservatorship of your items well, we've, we've, we've had sort of specialists who've come here to give us advice about how the, the collection should be stored. And, you know, we, we used their advice when we did a display of the items. So um, it's obviously very important. We, we keep the collection in, in a safe way and mm -hmm. we don't let it um, deteriorate you know, um, through sunlight exposure and things like that. So it's obviously very important. Does the club commission a portrait of each captain? Um, so in, in in the dining room, mm -hmm. every every captain has his portrait done. I mean, a, a photographic portrait. Oh, not oil. No, no, no. Oil, I see. No. Right. So, um, but, but some of the captains have had their portraits done. Yeah. I imagine you have a priceless collection of oils, though. I would imagine. We don't have. We've got two very distinctive paintings. One of the Charlie Hunter, who was the successor of of, of Tom Morris. Mm -hmm. um, it's a kind of I don't know, it must be about eight or nine feet by five feet portrait, which hangs in our dining room, which is, mm -hmm. is pretty special. And, you know, it was done, you know, it wasn't a, a captain of the club. This was the professional. Right. They, they, they thought he deserved mm -hmm. his own portrait, which hangs in the dining room. Is there not an iconic image of Charlie and Tom in their flannel jackets? Is that Charlie Hunter? Um, there, when there's a picture of the two of them together, but yeah. we don't have it. We don't have the original here. No, no, but that is Charlie Hunter, I think, in that image, isn't um, it? With uh, old Tom Morris as as a younger man. We didn't have a clubhouse at the course till 1868, mm -hmm. so the picture showing Morris and Hunter couldn't have been yes. our clubhouse because it was, you know, Morris had gone back to St Andrews by this point, so. Um, it's a bit of a mystery where the where the picture was taken. Right now, do you know if there was no clubhouse? Where did the records reside? Well, as I said before, so when the club was formed, they built, they bought a cottage, two cottages in the main street of Prestwick. I see. So, presumably, either the records were kept there or at at the home of one of the captains. And but I mean, the great thing is they've lasted it you know they've survived and they've come mm -hmm. down to us mm -hmm. and we we still have them so over the years you know the first 17 years when they they had the cottage um mm -hmm. they, they, they they've um, you know by whatever means when we built the clubhouse at the course they, that's the collection was brought across to the the new clubhouse so everything survived sure does the actual original claret jug exist the, yeah so the claret jug um was was um was bought 
by Prestrix and Andrews and Muirfield because they didn't have a, a prize right. after young Tom won the belt. So it used to be rotate around the three clubs, the, the, the Claret Jug, in 1912 or 19, I think it was 1912 that Muirfield and I mean, all the clubs t who hosted the Opens gave permission that St Andrews would take sole charge of the Open. So from that time, all the you know, prizes like the Claret Jug were kept by the, the RNA and they still are. So the RNA still have I see. a possession of the original Claret I Jug. I see, I yeah. see. And there are many duplicates. Well, there's, I think there's a few um, for of, yeah. So yeah. You know, they, they, they tour yeah. around the world, so they were commissioned to. Right. Uh, was there ever a silver club here for uh, this club? Press, yeah, so Prestrick was founded in 1851, so they, they were quite long after mm -hmm. the Honourable Company, right. which had this tradition of having a club um, for the captain, so Prestrick didn't do that, you know, maybe it was a bit, you know, out of fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this may seem an odd question, I'm, I'm curious though, do you have any reason to think that there was a Masonic connection to the beginning of this club at all? Um, I mean, I know for a fact there was because mm -hmm. we have an assistant who works in the um, in our in the pro shop, and sh and sh uh, she asked me if I could find out something about James Fairley, and the reason she asked was because her father is a member of the present Masonic Lodge, and they must have a record of him having been mm -hmm. a member. So that that was, I knew about the Masonic connection, but that it was very interesting that that was proof that he. He, he was a member of the Masonic Lodge, so um, that was something I only found out about three months ago. Oh. So, uh, I've read some histories of Blackheath, and there are theories that because of the particular toasts and some of the records and some of the cryptic minutes, uh, there are theories that some of the first formal clubs had definite connections to the Masons, and once they started opening up to more membership, and records would be more widely seen. Mm. Uh, the the documentation gets much better. Yeah, I I, I honestly don't have any record. I've I've been asked this question a few times, mm -hmm. and there's nothing in our records about yes. a Masonic link. But I'm sure that I'm sure there is. You know, that, I mean, I don't doubt that a lot of the the early golfers belong to Masonic clubs. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. um, also, uh, I'm assuming Glasgow was quite an industrial center. Uh, w is there any connection with the founding here, or was it more gentry? Um, so when the club was founded, um, I mean, the original connection was the fact that these wealthy landowners played golf. Um, they were looking for somewhere in the west um, mm -hmm. to play. You know, Originally, golf was in the east. It was drier. They played in the winter. Um, the west is obviously damper, so it wasn't suitable to, mm -hmm. when the feathery ball was played with, you know, it would have got very kind of soggy in the damp conditions. So mm -hmm. I think that's the reason that golf was not played on a course in the West. Um, but when the, the gutty came in, that was more suited to, you know, a yes. damper grass um, and fairly chose to play at Prestwick. The reason he chose Prestwick, number one, there was a railway station. Number two, it was five miles from where he lived. Mm -hmm. There seems to have been golf played here which is not recorded, but you know it's, it sounds like it was played here, um, and it and it's it's a nice place to play golf. You got a lovely view mm -hmm. of Aaron and, and the Carrick Hills. So um, it, it was yeah. I mean, it was, and Morris probably had a say in it, and he 
you, that's why they chose it. Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Could you give us a sense, Andrew, of the the sense of the membership today? What's it like to be a member here? To be a member, it's a pretty special thing. Um, I mean, you have to be proposed and seconded by one one member and two, no, two well, three members altogether, and then other members have to write letters of support to uh, approve this person's membership. But it's not a rigorous procedure. I mean, if, if the person's known to other members, then yes. um, generally they they will be approved. So there's no, uh, you know, we we have people of all, you know, backgrounds who've become members. Um, Is does do, do the policies limit the membership? Well, we have what's called two hundred counting members who mm. who come from within. I think it's something like two hundred miles of the of the club. So mm -hmm. that's the the fixed membership. And our, you know, beyond that, we have members who live in England. Um, we have nearly 100 members from abroad now we have mm -hmm. a big big contingent from sweden mm. um from a mainly from a club called falstabo i think there's about 40 or 50 um, members from canada and, and the united mm -hmm. states mm -hmm. so uh, mm. all told i think there's about 400 members mm -hmm. would you be able to show us a few items in the collection or is, yeah, sure. is that possible yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a letter here sent on the 27th of May 1851 and it was it was sent um, just just to arrange a date for for a meeting mm -hmm. of people to gather to to discuss a new club to being founded so that was in May 1851 the club was actually founded in in July at a meeting at the Red Lion Hotel mm -hmm. um, but we're, we're lucky enough to have all all this sort of information yeah. We've got receipts which were signed by by Tom Morris. You know when he got paid. We've got all these receipts, um, wage receipts. So um, this one is 1858. He was paid. Um, wow! Look paid at that. Nine, nine pounds, nine pounds, fifteen shillings a quarter. Is that signed over a postage stamp? Well, so um, it's, it's I think a form of tax. So um, mm -hmm. part of. Part of the, the the payment went to like mm. a, a pension, right. or, so a stamp was um, attached to all the all the receipts. Um, Thomas. Thomas Morris. So you know this is just proof. So it's, it's quite a quite a. I mean, there's not many places will have a collection of uh, signatures by Tom Morris. So it's, it's That's pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. We also have the original minute book. So this is a pretty special item. Original wow. minute book of the club. Wow, 1851. Yeah, so we know we know the names of all the the original members. So the the first one in the book is Earl Daglington. Yes. So <laughs> he was um, he was a captain. And the reason we know the scores of the Open are are in here. So 1860, 17th of October, there was a a panel of of members who who overlooked the whole competition. And they acted as scorers and an umpire, and um, and we have the the list of competitors and what their scores were. Mm -hmm. Scores were, and this would have been how many holes? Um, so they played Three thirty-six rounds? holes uh -huh. in the in the space uh -huh. of an afternoon. Right. So they met at um, at twelve o'clock, and they played thirty-six holes in October when it got dark around six o'clock. And um, and they had lunch in the meet in the middle. And so it looks like one seventy four was the winning score. Well, William yeah, Park, yeah, William Park yeah. was the winning score. Two yeah. strokes better than Old Tom. Yeah, and the reason we and the reason it's called the Open it was because the following year, 
one of the members, you know, James Fairley, he, mm -hmm. he, he was quite keen to play himself. So they passed a, a motion in the club. Um, it says here, it was unanimously resolved that the challenge belt tomorrow and on all future occasions until it be otherwise mm -hmm. resolved shall be open to all the world. So the reason they, they, anybody can enter is, is because Prestwick allowed um, yes. non-professionals to take part. So it's, it's a pretty special. The speed of which they wrote the previous page with the scores looks very different than this page to me. Yeah. This looks much more deliberate. More deliberate, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But it, it's, it's a great uh, record of, yeah. So every year the Open was played, all the scores were kept in the club's own minute book. So. Uh, it's in absolutely terrific condition. Yeah, it's, it's pretty special. Um, and the, the one other thing that, you know, that's pretty special are these scorecards. So, um, so if you think about it, the first Open was in 1860. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they didn't know whether it would be a permanent event. So we don't have any cards from the first Open, but we, well, as a matter of fact, we don't have any from the first one, yeah, one, two, first four opens. Um, but then in 1865, we've got you know cards with the scores. So the winner in 1865 was Andrew Strath. So the first, so they played three rounds still, 36 holes. So that's the three round on the back for uh -huh. the third rounds. So they they were given markers. So the markers obviously put down. Yes. The, yeah, we've seen that. Yeah. That's all in pencil. Yeah. Andrew Strath, who was the professional at Prestwick, he won mm -hmm. the Open in 1865. Mm -hmm. And then the card with the hole-in-one was in 1869, um, which is there, um, hole-in-one. Mm -hmm. So Tom Morris <laughs> Jr., yeah, pretty special. That is incredible. And the other, other good one is when he had a three at the first hole. Yes. So the hole is 578 yards long, and he had a three. Yeah. So so that's, a, that's pretty, pretty special, isn't it? Yeah. Incredible. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. <laughs>
So four times a year we have these formal dinners. Um, in fact, one of them takes place on Friday. So on Friday night we have a formal dinner and then we play two rounds of foursomes the following day. Um, and, you know, the, there's matches arranged at the dinner for people to, you know, play against each other. This is a stunning watercolor. This is watercolor, isn't watercolor, it? Watercolor. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. John Beswick. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Here we have some more clubs, which um, I, I quite like the rotten. Oh, yeah, John Gray, yeah. yeah. Um, I have some John Gray clubs. Yeah, really? Well, yeah. so John Gray came from Prestrick. Oh. Yeah, so they were made in Prestrick. It's my understanding that the, the clubs with the John abbreviated are the older clubs. I think you're right, yeah. yeah. You changed the... There's a Tom Morris. Look at the hosel on this one. Mm -hmm. the, this one here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. That's a gray. That's a very early gray. Here's a left-handed one. Look yeah. at the hosels on these. Yeah. You'd have to be strong. <laughs> these are beautiful. Yeah, they are. I didn't know John Gray was from Presswick. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So he, 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 uh, John Gray knew Tom Morris. So mm -hmm. I, I think maybe he started making clubs um, because there was a de the demand, you know, started in Presswick when the club was founded and he turned his hand to making golf clubs. Yeah. And what is this piece here? So, so Diana, Prince, Princess of Wales, um, she visited Prestrick in 1989. So the main purpose of the visit was to open a, a, a home for families who could come um, to stay. It's called respite. Um, mm -hmm. Families whose fam children had cancer and the families would come and stay. So it was near the club, but at the same time, the club invited her to come and come to the club, so she, which she did, and she mm -hmm. signed a, a book. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Every year when the Open is played, um, we have a picture which the, the champions sign after they've won the, the event. So that's Tom Tiger Woods signing it. And so this year, Cameron Smith won the Open and he, he signed it there. So right. it, it goes back to that the actual picture was given as a pre present to the club in about eight, nine, in 1953. And the person wanted us to have it. But ever since then, we've added the names, or we've we've been allowed to add the names of the winners with their signature yeah. on on the picture. Um, Quite fun. So the earliest one goes back to the 1890s. Wow! Yes. Um, and it was quite special. Yeah. William Octorlone. Yeah. 1893. Interesting. Oh, and Henry Cotton. Yeah, interesting. This is so much fun. Yeah. So because we started the Open, yeah, yeah, yeah. RNA Brilliant. said that you know they would mm -hmm. give special permission that we could get it signed. Well, we want to thank you for your generous time and for allowing us to speak to you today. Okay. Thank you. Mr. Bone, thank you for talking to me today. You're welcome. Did you grow up in this area? Uh, I was born in Prestwick, mm -hmm. and I moved down to Suffolk with my parents when I was four years old. And then I started work in 1970 in Suffolk, 
I then moved in 1982 to work in Liverpool, mm -hmm. where I joined Formby Golf Club, mm -hmm. where Wonderful. I'm still a country member. Yes. And then I came up here uh, to work in Glasgow in 1987, and my grandfather had been a member at Western Gales. Uh -huh. I didn't know him, but uh -huh. uh, anyway, I applied for membership mm. and joined in 1988. Uh-huh, beautiful. How does one become the archivist? <laughs> it's actually a kind of uh, unofficial title. Mm -hmm. um, our current president, James Hardy, uh, was the archivist. And in 2002, he asked me if I would take it on. So there was no interview or mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. And that kind of, when I think back now, James was, he's now 80. So he stopped when he was 60. Yes. And I'm now 70. So, <laughs> so I think there's something wrong somewhere. Does the club still have minutes from the early years? Yes. Uh huh. Yes. I've got um, notices of the annual general meeting going back to round about 1900. Mm -hmm. And they go right the way through. Nowadays it's all on. Uh, yes, digitized. digitized. Yeah, wonderful. And, so on. and we're currently looking at getting a lot of the archive material digitized. Yes, that's a complicated project I'm familiar with. Yes, it. yes, so we've been, uh, we've had a meeting with, um, thank, thank you, you uh, to do that. I think uh, uh, it's the same firm that did the Golf House Club at Ely through uh -huh. the East Coast Beautiful. and Prestwick. Uh -huh. Wonderful. Anyway, that, that's in the pipeline at the moment. I'd like to ask you a question. <laughs> The Earl of Eglinton, yes. is this somebody you're familiar with and uh, fond of? The um, land down the coast was, uh, this stretch of coastline was owned by the Duke of Portland, who was our first president. Uh -huh. And he owned the land down to Trun. Yes. And the Earl of Eglinton owned the coastline Prestwick and south of Prestwick yes. until you got to almost Killeen uh -huh. Castle yes. and then the Marquis of Ilza uh -huh. owned right. almost down to uh, Stranraer. And the Earl of Eglinton, I believe, was the first captain at Prestwick. Well, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we played Irvine Bogside yesterday and the first hole is Eglinton. Yeah. And yeah. I know that history mainly because of the Charles Lee painting. Yeah. Of, uh, they, the they, golfers. They, they owned a lot of the land yeah. down here. Yeah. We, when the club started, we leased the land from the Duke of Portland. This is the 1880s? 1880s. Uh -huh. 1897 was when the club was founded. Right. Uh, really on the basis of, um, it, it was to do with the railway. Mm. The railway, right. if they put a, a halt in, you know, a stop, Tuesdays was half day in Glasgow, so right. Tuesday, Tuesdays and Saturdays they could get a couple of hundred golfers. Wow! Because um, in the early, almost immediately, there were about four or five hundred members. Yes. And um, so the train would stop there. Yes. Members would get off. And Glasgow, I imagine, was very industrial. Oh, very. Yes. Yeah. At that time. It would be. So who who were the members? Do you think? gentlemen there with the uh, are these uh, sort of tycoons they're found, no, they're, no. Well, they're founder members they, they played in 
at the south of Glasgow, mm -hmm. where the weather's not great. So yes. Yeah. They didn't really play much golf during the winter, whereas the Lynx course is starting because you can play golf year-round. Year yeah, so and now they, so they came down. Those were the four sort of founding wow. members. Okay, you've pointed at a display in the bar here. Uh, four gentlemen sitting on a hillside. No. And is that the original clubhouse? Uh, that's, I think, the original station. Where uh, the, oh, it the, is. The, the, I see. Where the halt was. Wow. Um, well, I'll look forward to reading this later. Yes. Wonderful. Well, what I'll do is I'll, I'll take you around and show you some of the ephemera. Yeah. Round the, round Does the club. the club have any old golf clubs itself? Some. Uh huh. Some. Eighteen uh, nineties uh, would have been the very end of the ha the uh, the invention of the Haskell yeah, ball. Yeah. 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 There's some uh, yeah. old clubs. For a while, this was the the sort of second club, I suppose, mm -hmm. for a lot of mm -hmm. members. In other words, they would play their golf in the summer. Right mainly around suburban clubs yes. sort of thing, but they play the winter golf down, down at West. And um, what are the big challenges as the archivist? Do you, uh, is, is uh, preservation of paper? Preservation of paper. Uh, a challenge? I do a, a, an audit, mm -hmm. if you can call it an audit, about once a month I go around and check all the display cabinets, everything that's right. written in the kind of index book is still there. Yes, yes. Um, you must have original medals. Yes. Yeah, that must be precious. I can show you some of yeah. those. Um, yes, so I just make sure everything is still right. uh, there. And then if we have a championship or something, keeping the um, paperwork for that. Right. We had the men's amateur, so the European Men's Amateur Team Championship here in 2007, mm -hmm. which was won by the Irish team, mm -hmm. which included Rory McIlroy oh, wow. and Sean uh, Shane Lowry. Yes. And they beat the French team in the final. And the French team included Victor de Buisson. Yes, yeah. And Jonas Blixt played for oh, right. Sweden. Yes. And uh, Richie Ramsey was in the Scottish team. They're all 17 years of yes. age at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Dubrisson is a surprisingly good match player. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. did very well in that. <laughs> yeah. uh, he seemed to get up and down. Yeah, the WGC. <laughs> I remember that. Um, and uh, so you have medals, trophies, probably? The um, Yes. The, a lot of the uh, trophies have a kind of uh, military background uh -huh. to them. Uh -huh. um, in that uh, Dundonald Golf Course, which is right. over the railway line from us, used to be uh, Dundonald Camp. Oh, I see. Which was used um, during the Boer War, which uh -huh. was like yes. 1890s. Yes, yeah. And then in the First World War, the army took over the clubhouse here. Mm. And the very common. And this was, became the offices. Yes, yeah, very common. And yeah. uh, they would play army games. Uh -huh. Sure. Two, two armies of yeah. 10,000 each would play army games on the course. Right, and right. And then I think 1920 we got the course back. Yes, yeah. And then 19, Second World War, they used the beaches from Barassi uh -huh. and Troon up Western Gales for uh, D-Day landings. Yes, amphibious training. Amphibious yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Training, although they didn't take over the clubhouse at that time. Uh -huh. <laughs> but certainly in the uh, early 
20th century, a lot of the trophies are the Militia Cup, the yes, Glasgow Rifle Brigade Trophy, the right. uh, Victory Cups, and these sort of things right. uh, have a military kind of background. And um, you must get into insurance. Um, is there anything extremely precious? There is something which I'll, I'll, I'll show you. Okay. And it, actually, um, there is a Gales Golf Club in Brisbane, Australia. Yes. <laughs> which uh, was a, um, I think, a Scottish golfer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I could show you a, a, a picture because I can't quite get the, the, the mileage right, but there is a... Right. There is a <laughs> Uh, signpost right for Western Gales at there and it's like New York right so many thousand right. kilometers right. and then sure. it's got Western Gales right. 13,800 <laughs> kilometers um, so they gave us in 1934 a silver kangaroo oh no kidding shall show you okay and it is solid silver yes wow and we gave them a silver shield uh-huh which is a kind of relief of the clubhouse and one of the yeah the holes and they play for that and we play in April for oh, beautiful. the kangaroo. What is the story of the logo here? The logo is um, part of the coat of arms of the Duke of Portland. Okay. Are two hands with quill pens. Yes. Okay. And that became two golf clubs. Yes. Yeah. And that I see. Where that, uh, yeah, pretty distinctive. That came from. Yeah. Um, what what what's your favorite area of history or collecting? Are you a collector yourself? Not not really. No, uh -huh. no, no. I quite like the um, the kind of military side mm. of things. Uh, there's uh, a picture of what were. Um, trainees, I suppose, sitting on the embankments out right. in front of the clubhouse. That was 1916. Sure. And you just think, well, there they are in that moment of time. Yes. Yeah. And you don't know if they've made it, who survived, right. or how many survived, or whatever. Right. But there they are sitting on our yeah. bank at the putting green. My office, where I work in the United States, is a World War One military base. All oh, right. Yeah. So I'm very familiar oh, yeah. with this. Yeah. Um, it, the other thing it, that I find interesting about Scotland is I believe that photography was invented more or less in St Andrews. Was it? Uh, in the 1840s or 50s, and um, it it allows so many of these clubs to actually have photographs yeah. of the original members in yeah. many cases. Yeah. Well, that would be 18. 97. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, this and particular part of the clubhouse was built in 1809. Okay, wow. And uh, there's a photograph of the original one, which was a sort of wood and metal construction, but it was just really a, a kind of temporary. Yes, yeah. Um, I think at that time they didn't know whether the club would <laughs> actually take hold or. Right. Yeah, would take hold. How would you describe the atmosphere of the club today oh, in the 21st century? Um, still, uh, probably one of the best places to play golf. Yes, um, it's a great course. It's a great membership. Yeah, and you know you would see another member of Western Gales in say Glasgow City Centre, mm -hmm. and you would stop mm -hmm. and have a, um, and you would. You'd never come down here on your own and not get a game. Right. Beautiful.
And we saw, asked, we saw, you'd, you'd be asked to make up a game, or are you on your own if you're a new member? Yes. And one yeah. of the nice things is, whether it still happens nowadays, I think it, it does to a certain extent. A new member would have a proposer seconder. They would be notified when the new member becomes a member of the club. Yes. Yeah. They would buy him a tie. Oh yes. And they would bring, uh, invite him down for his first game. Right. Present him with his tie. Wonderful. And, then he's launched. Yeah. <laughs> and you must have inter-club competitions. Yes, we uh, play uh, a committee match against Glasgow Golf Club, uh, who own Glasgow Gales, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Pollock, uh, Royal Troon. We have uh, semi-committee matches against Barassi and Turnberry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we have some senior matches, um, Golf House Club at Ely. There's one ex captain's match, which is Loughness, which we play. Right, uh, wonderful. Then, but not a huge. At the moment, there's a team away down in Surrey. Uh, we'd have gone down mm. today, and they're playing at Hankley Common, mm -hmm. uh, New Zealand Golf Club, and Warpleson. Oh yes, wonderful. Uh, course, yeah. And then they're, they're back Friday. Uh huh. Wonderful. Um, can you just talk a little bit about some of the bit larger events that you've hosted here? The, uh, I'd have to just check the number, but I think we've had something like 10 Scottish Amateur Championships mm -hmm. here. Um, there was the Curtis Cup here in 1972. Mm -hmm. uh, the Scottish Amateur Stroke Play was in 2017. Uh, there was a PGA Championship back in 1964, mm. and there was a, a championship back in 1903, which Harry Varden ah, won. Yeah. Uh, so not, and for many years it was the final qualifying. I wondered about that yeah. for the Open at Turnbury and Trun. Right. Uh, but now it's changed to uh, one in one in Scotland, one in the Northwest, sure. and in the Midlands. One sure, in, sure, sure, sure. Uh, don't get that sort of uh, thing now. Uh, Thank you for giving me a little time. Right, that's all.